0: Hello and welcome to Fun, Faith, and Fuckery, the show that brings more play, pray, and slay into your day. I'm Nikki Bailey. I'm a performer, writer, and Emmy-nominated producer, and I have a Master of Divinity degree. I went to seminary to be clergy, and now I do this. So, you know, yeah. I'm excited about the show today. I have an amazing guest, professor, author, and theologian, Reverend Dr. Monica A. Coleman. But before we talk to her, I wanna tell you how you can be involved with the show and help make Fun, Faith, and Fuckery a success. First thing you can do is support the show by telling your friends and family. Share and help spread the word. Second, you can like, comment, thumbs up, review. Um, comment on Facebook. You can comment on Facebook or YouTube right now and we will see your comments in real time and you can be part of the conversation. It really helps enrich the conversation to have you all involved. So let us know your thoughts. You can also leave five stars or give a thumbs up wherever it is you watch or listen to the show. And finally, making the show is a labor of love, but it also costs a little bit of money. So if you want to support the show financially, you can join me over on Patreon, where you can be a monthly supporter and gain access to extra features and special content. Or if you want to make a one-time donation to the show, you can do so through my Venmo at Nikki-Bailey-2, because apparently there was another one. Check out my website to find out more about how to support the show. So let's get started, y'all. Let me tell you about my week, okay? I was minding my business on Monday, just chilling, okay? Having a good old time, sitting in my chair, getting ready for the day, whatever. Doing my little morning meditation. I stand up. I literally just stood up. That's all I did was stand up and my back went into spasm again. Because if my back is not in spasm at least three times a year, I did not have a complete year. So apparently this is now my life uh, at this age, the ripe old age of whatever age I am now. And I'm not going to tell you, even though I'm not ashamed of it, because actually if I told you it would blow your freaking mind because I look like I'm in my 20s, but I'm not. (laughs) Anyway, but at this age, uh, my back goes out. Uh, and that's okay because um, I have health insurance at this age. and uh, I go to the doctor, <laughs> and the doctor gave me some good drugs, and i'm I'm back on the mend, but um I went to acupuncture, y'all. And acupuncture fixed me right up. So if you've never gone to acupuncture, if you've never had those little needles stuck into you, you should get you some. It's good self-care. Take care of that business acupuncture can fix all kinds of stuff so i want to tell you guys i love mashed potatoes i prefer them to be made with the skin removed from the potatoes before they're mashed but uh because i like them smooth and creamy and richly buttery when i make mashed potatoes for myself though i almost never take the skin off I like boil the skit the potatoes. I throw them in a bowl. I just mash them up. I put in all the other stuff to make them delicious, and they are almost perfect. Except that they still have the skin on. I don't remove the skin when I'm making mashed potatoes for myself. When I'm making my mother's famous shepherd's pie or um, mashing up some taters for a quick dinner on a Wednesday night, I tell myself that. I like the skin. It's good for me. It has fiber. And fiber is good for your body. I mumble to myself about how I'm saving the planet somehow by utilizing the whole potato and not just leaving behind the the skin. (sighs) And I say to myself, you know, I'm just too lazy to be bothered. But between you and me, I think that's probably bullshit. I'm not actually lazy. I, I I can't do all the things that I do and be an actually lazy person. Okay, I am lazy. I'm not going to front. I'm lazy. I'm totally lazy. But I'm not lazy about everything. And I don't think that the reason I don't peel my potatoes is because I'm lazy. I think it's because on some level, I don't think I deserve those peeled potatoes. On some level, I don't think I'm worth the effort. It's just me, I'm the only one who's gonna eat them. Why should I go through all the drama of like peeling potatoes? Even if it does make for yummy or mashed potatoes, it's too much work for me to do just for myself, right? I'm the only one who's gonna eat it. Am I the only person who, who thinks that that's too much work for, to do for myself? No, I'm sure that other people have things that you do this to like, what's your mashed potato situation? What's your thing that you you if you were doing it for someone else, you would do it differently? So, I work harder and I buy the best quality ingredients when I'm doing it for someone else. I show up early and I stay light, late when I'm doing it for someone else. I go above and beyond for everybody but myself. Does that sound familiar to anybody? So, let's fix that shit right here and right now. Check it out. You and I are both worth peeled potatoes we're worth having the most delicious mashed potatoes we can have every time and why shouldn't we have the biggest slice of pizza or a clean car or a cubicle with the best lighting why shouldn't we get the best things why should your best effort be focused on everybody else except for you it shouldn't be so have it your way Have it the way you really want it. Have it the way you deserve to have it. Peel your fucking potatoes, y'all. Do your best work for you before you do your best work for somebody else, before you give your energy to somebody else. In fact, I demand that you demand what you want. You deserve it. You deserve delicious mashed potatoes. You deserve delicious mashed potatoes every freaking time. So what's your mashed potato thing? What's the, the the thing that you cheat yourself out of? So today I want you to give yourself an extra double dosage of goodness you, that you usually give away. The things you usually do for other people, I want you to do for yourself. So I want you to say to yourself, today I will fill in the blank for myself because I deserve the best. And you do. We all do. i my guest today is the Reverend Dr. Monica A. Coleman. She is committed to faith and social justice. She is a widely sought after speaker and preacher on the topics of mental health, faith, sexual violence, and church responses, uh, liberation theologies, and religious pluralism. I can read Um, she's an ordained elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Church and a priestess of Obatala and Oshun in the tradition of Yoruba, your religion, the Yoruba, y'all, my tongue, it's all, let me take a sip of water, because I want to do justice to Dr. Coleman, you know what I'm saying, because like, she's for, she's for real legit, so like I was saying, She's a priestess of Obatala and Oshun in traditional Yoruba religion. She has degrees from Harvard, Vanderbilt, and Claremont graduate university. And she is the professor, she is a professor of Africana studies at the University of Delaware. Please help me welcome Reverend Dr. Monica Coleman. Hi Monica. Hi Nikki, it's good to be here. I'm so glad to have you i didn't thank want to mess you up your welcome. introduction no I thank to, you for the great intro i had to take a little uh sip of water so i would get it right so which f do you want to discuss today the fun the faith or the fuckery
1: you know let's start with fun i know I, switched oh, it down. <laughs> I think,
0: no you know what i think that's the best place to start because the way that I got introduced to you was through something that is super fun to me, which is the Octavia Tried webinars that you do with Tananarive Do. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the Octavia Tried webinars and how you came up with the idea and how they got started. Uh,
1: well, you know, Tanana, I am an Octavia Butler fan, and I actually am a Tenenarive fan too. Um, and But she's also my friend. <laughs> and, you know, here we are a month into the pandemic, and I love all of Octavia Butler's books, but I've been teaching Parable of the Sower for years and years. And so I just shot Tananariva text, knowing that she also loves Octavia Butler's work, and says, hey, don't you think the world's looking a little bit like Parable of the Sower? Uh, mm-hmm. You want to do a webinar and talk to people about it? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, that'd be fun. So we kind of came up with this name, Octavia tried to tell us um, a parable for today's pandemic. And that was probably the hardest part of it. And yeah. said, okay, let's just invite people to do a webinar. We're like, we don't know what we're doing. So we got a little bit of help um, from a grad student who has been a grad student um, at University of Delaware. And we thought maybe a couple hundred other people would want to have this conversation with us. And it was a couple thousand people who registered. We were like, oh, wow well, okay, let's talk about it. And it just kind of kept going and took off. Other people wanted to join us. They wanted to talk to other people who loved Octavia Butler, who had other ideas about survival and hope and who love Afrofuturism and have, are interested in building a new world and having innovative ideas about leadership. And so we said, well, let's do it as long as it's fun. And so we're still doing it because we're still having fun with it.
0: And it is fun. I look forward to them. I haven't been able to make the last couple, but I look forward to them all the time. Um, uh, Tell me, what is it about Octavia E. Butler that speaks to your soul? I'll tell you, for me, Mm -hmm. the first book of hers that I ever read was Kindred. Mm -hmm. And... I didn't know what Afrofuturism was. This was, I don't know if the word was even well, out there yet. Well, we didn't call it that back then. It was just science fiction. Yeah. We didn't call it back that, and back then we didn't call it Afrofuturism, but I knew that I had found someone whose mind worked in a way that like fed my soul. And I was like, I don't know how she's doing this, but, but she writes, she creates worlds that are so, are so much a reflection of both the time we're in and a reflection of where we might end up. And, and she's just such an amazing world builder. So what is it about Octavia Butler that like draws you to her for you? What is it that she does that, 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 oh, that makes you like, yes.
1: Well, you know, I had teachers who told me that I would like science fiction and I should like science fiction. This was even in like elementary school or maybe middle, I guess maybe middle school and high school. And I didn't, right? I, I would read, um, I guess I shouldn't say the names of the authors but white males, <laughs> you know, Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov. And I was like, I don't like this. I don't want right. to finish this. It just didn't interest me. And I think, um, I don't know why that was, but I was like, "What? Did, why does everyone think science fiction is so great?" No, it's not. And then I don't know when I heard of Octavia Butler, but I read Pattern Master series first actually, nice. and it's not explicitly black, but you can feel the difference, right? Of um, just being drawn into another world. You know, she really does say, "What if?" You know, "What if leadership looked different?" What if? women were leaders and in charge? And what if, you know, we bonded with different species in different ways? And what if this or that, right? And so um I think I really, Pattern Master is still kind of my favorite just because I love the terrain of it. I, I kind of feel myself there just thinking about it. Like She draws a picture and you feel like you're an Kali, right? You feel like you're right there. Um You feel like you're in, you know, kind of among these Sandy pyramids. And so it was parable. It was clearly Earthseed that grabbed me, right? Earthseed and Lauren and Earthseed and Lauren, right? Yeah. Um, Because and it wasn't that it felt so real to me necessarily, but I was like, yeah, this is how you do it. It just felt like a model from the very first time I read it. Um, And one that was hopeful and one that's like, yes, this is how you look around. This is how you theologize. This is how you start a community and lead a community. And, and nothing's perfect in her worlds, right? It's not like she makes them ideal in that sense, but it still gives us a vision of what could be. And I think for me, that's hope, right? It's a yeah. vision of what could be. And hope is hard to find in the world. And so when you see it, um, I hold on to it.
0: You know, I, I always think that whatever your first Octavia Butler book is ends up being your favorite. That's that's what I feel like 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 Kindred was my favorite until I read the the uh, Wild Seed series. Yeah. And then I was then I got I got drawn into that world in such a way that I legitimately wrote fan fiction for <laughs> for those stories. Mm-hmm. I loved it. But parable of the sower and parable of the talents, and there's a third one that I've never gotten a chance to read. Have you really? ever gotten it? Well, it's not out. It's you
1: know the, there are notes of it in the Huntington, um, but you know we'll throw it in there. If you go to YouTube and you listen to the Octavia Tride with her agent Marilee Heitfuss, she has a little Easter egg in there for what might happen with the third book. Ooh. So, I won't tell it now. You got to go listen to it. But yes. Yeah, there it was supposed to be a trilogy. So she, yeah. you know, Octavia has to wait way too young right before she finished it. Um but there's a little easter egg in terms of what might be happening with that.
0: Awesome. And <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go back and listen for that one cuz I don't think I, I I think I missed that one. So, the earth seed religion from the parable of the sower books um lauren olamina who is the the protagonist of the story writes uh creates a religion yeah and it's in and the the major tenet of the religion is all that you all that you touch you change all that you change changes you the only lasting truth is change god is change yes so Comment on you're Hearing you read it, <laughs> isn't it? It doesn't. It it just does something to you. It Just it because it, it's so true. It's so real. Mm-hmm. um Without and 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 you know, I think we're used to our religious texts telling us how to live and 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 the dogma of religion. But what I love about Earthseed is that the philosophy is just God is change. So how does that, what does that mean to you? What does shaping change mean to you? What does God being changed mean to you? I mean, if I can nerd out here for a second, right? Please Um, nerd all the way out.
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm trained as a philosophical theologian, right? Which means I look at what we believe through the lens of how we understand the entire world um, as compared to a particular text or one particular religious tradition. and so. I like Ursi because it's a philosophy, right? It's, this is how I look at the world. This is how I see the world happening. I look around, this is what I get. And that's the kind of philosophical theology I do. Um, And while, you know, as a scholar, I call it process theology. You could just call it Ursi, right? Because it's the same thing. It says it's based on the core principle of the world being change. And we are always changing and God is always changing. And when you have that as the core of what you believe and what you understand, you get really different things than you might get in a classical Christianity or a more um, classical version of any of the Abrahamic faiths, for example. And so I love it, right? Because I work in a philosophy and a tradition that uses really complex language. I don't think it needs to, but it does. And, you know, Octavia comes out here and busts out with poetry, right? Right. And people memorize poetry. You remember poems. That's what sticks with you. That's what moves you. And so she really says many of the things that I believe, that I have come to believe, that made sense for my life and my own spirituality in powerful and lyrical words. And they come out of the voice of this, you know, teenage Black girl which is even better (laughs) to me and even more exciting because it reminds us that um, our leaders, our saviors, our priests, right, Um, can look like us, right? Like young black girls who, you know, the world might see as having a shortcoming or a deficiency or a disability or a vulnerability. And I love that part of it. And so for me, shaping change is a word for how do we live? right? How do we live creatively? How do we build our world? How do we navigate change? And most of, you know, we don't want to be at the whim of it. We don't want to be fighting it, which is what plenty of people do, right? They oh, feel like they're yeah. tossed around by change or kicked in the butt by change or, you know, surprised by change. But it's more like, how do you ride the wave right, of change? And how do you live your life so that you are actively, engaging with change being changed and changing yourself and the world around you and so for me like this is how we do it this is this is the key
0: i love that uh so you mentioned process theology (laughs) now i'm going to tell you in seminary it went right (laughs) over my head i i remember being like what (laughs) yes process theology and death of god theology both of them were like, what, what? So tell, tell us what is process theology? What is, what is it? Because if you look, if you try to Wikipedia it, <laughs> it gives you a lot of stuff that is not lay person friendly. That is true.
1: Most of process theology is not lay person friendly and it is my personal joy and mission to try to make it make sense because I think it's really cool. And um, so the short version is, in some ways, what I just said, right, if you believe that the core value is change, right, that there's one constant in the universe, right, Octavia Butler says the only lasting truth is change, right, if you believe that the core value, the core thing that occurs, if we could depend on nothing else, it's change. Um, What does that look like when we apply that to our faith? So in process, we believe that everything that happens in the world is a combination of three things. One, um, what you have to work with or your past. Mm-hmm. Two, what's possible in your given context. And three, what you do with it. Mm. Right? I mean, you can kind of get this from probably any pop psychology show, right? What do you have to work with? What's possible? And then what are you doing with it? What's Where's your agency? And we think that's true whether you're a quark or a rock or a frog or a person. Um, because we're people, we find people really interesting when they do it. But we think it's true for everything. And yeah. so the God part comes in because we believe if you're a theist, and you can be a processed non-theist, but if you're a pro- if you're a theist, and I'm all about God, if you're a theist, we believe that God is the one who offers us possibilities. And that's where we can always have a source of newness or surprise or miracles, because there are possibilities that we might not have foreseen, possibilities that didn't come from the past alone that surprise us. And this is why we aren't always determined to do the same thing over and over and over again, right? That we can make new decisions, make new choices, choose new things, um, because there's, there's no sense that we have to repeat the past
0: what do you say to the folks so in my church growing up we we learned God the same today tomorrow always God is never changing God is always uh, God is always the same and and that we change but God doesn't how, did, how do you reconcile or, or do you not reconcile that? Do you just throw oh, it No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we have two
1: ways of answering it, right? There we say there is a part of God that doesn't change. It's God's character, right? So if you believe that God is good, God's goodness doesn't change. If you believe that God cares about justice, that doesn't change, right? Like the kind of values that God has might not change, but God does change. And so for those who come out of classical, and by classical I mean kind of this Greco-Roman tradition, um, believe that God and the world are opposites. So God embodies all the ideals and everything we wish we could be, and then humanity does not. So God doesn't change, we change. God is perfect, we're imperfect. God doesn't sin, we sin, right? And in process we say, well, what if it's not like that? What if rather than God being the exception, to the metaphysical principles of the world. God is the chief exemplification of the metaphysical principles of the world. So to put that in English, rather than God being the opposite of how the world works, what if God and the world work in the same way? And God is just broader than we are. That is scandalous. It could <laughs> But, you know, if you're in, coming out of Jewish and Christian traditions, Jewish scriptures really do show a God who changes. Right. Yeah. A God is like, I changed my mind. I thought about it. You did this. And so I did that. Right. This very responsive God, this God that's in covenant, right? This God that's in relationship. And when you're in relationship, you respond right to some to, to a people, to somebody else, right? You're not like this is what I'm gonna do, no matter what you do. That's not relationship. And that's not the God we see in Hebrew scriptures. So I think that there are many traditions, not just, you know, Jewish Hebrew traditions, but there are many traditions where God is very responsive with the world.
0: So in process theology, how do you, how do we manage things like heaven and hell? How do we manage things like sin and evil?
1: Well, just go for the big questions.
0: (laughs) Right? Well, you know, I, I, we were gonna start with fun, but I, I, I went by it real fast because I, want, I knew I had all these other questions I wanna ask you. So I'll come back to fun. No, yeah, yeah, this is fun, no, this <laughs> is fun for me. Okay, good. good, 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 good. Cause it's fun for me too. All right, so um, let's start with heaven and hell
1: and you'll get, this is process theology a la Monica, right? Cause every process theologian does things a little differently. Um, so heaven is very much how if you're coming from Christian scriptures, the kingdom of God is with you now, right? You know, heaven is with you, right? This heaven is this ideal. It's not a place because we know if you go up, you get to outer space. Thank you, Octavia Butler. Right. So it's not like the earth is flat and up is heaven in the clouds and down is like fire, right? We know that's not like literally true. <laughs> and so heaven is the ideal of what of what we of what we like to, you know, kind of God's vision. Some might call it the beloved community, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The vision of what could be that God is like, hey, you're always striving to get heaven on earth. We're always trying to get heaven on earth. And we don't get there. We fall short of it. We have glimpses of it. There are moments when we see our ideals for community and faith and justice lived out, but we don't see it in its fullness. And so it's that ideal, but there also is a sense of what I would call an ancestral realm right, of a place where um, spirits are, right, that think about it in the terms of physics, right, energy never dies, right, those are the kind of laws of thermodynamics, so because energy never dies, we don't die, right, our bodies, we know, stop working, but you don't die, <laughs> it's got it goes somewhere, and so there is kind of a sense of an ancestral realm. As for hell, we don't have a hell, <laughs> there's no hell in the process thought, um because most understandings of hell are that it's a separation from god and we don't think you can ever 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 be separated from god because god is inside of us and we are inside of god and that's just the way it is like you can't shake god you can't lose god god is in every part of ourselves and our beings so you can't be separated from god but because we have agency we can make enough decisions to feel like we have hell right here on earth. Like we don't need to create a place to banish someone to because an individual can make decisions or sometimes power structures around someone can make enough decisions that one can feel like one is experiencing a pretty negative experience here on earth. So that's where we are on heaven and hell. That's the super short version. Guess
0: what? I'm totally a process theologian.
1: I, I'm not surprised because you know you love Octavia and Ursi. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I knew I was. I just needed to make sure based on like actual scholarship, because um, like I said, I that whole unit in ST 103 with Dr. James Cohn.
1: Oh, you <laughs> know. Dr. Cohn and I would talk about process, and you know he wasn't a big fan. No, but, he you know, was not. He was not. And I have to say, I was not a fan of process when I first read it. I was like, "What is this?" You know, effery. <laughs> you know, I was like, "I can't get down with this. This guy doesn't have the power to do what I need God to do." You know, so when I first read it, I didn't like it either. But it was also, I think, because it was it the people who were writing the process theology I was reading didn't have the same kind of commitments I had, right? When I read people who were process theologians and liberation theologians, I was like, oh yeah, you know, there aren't a lot of us, but there are, you know, there are now, particularly now, more feminist process theologians, there are Black process theologians, you know, people who have these commitments about justice and liberation, as well as to thinking about change, right, and thinking about um, kind of agency we have in the midst of change. And so, yes, I under, I get that it's not the easiest to understand, but hopefully, um, I know people teach some of my work, so I hopefully it's more and more accessible. And I teach process theology to anyone who wants to learn it online, um, hopefully in accessible language. That's what I've heard. <laughs> and so that we have another way to think about God besides this kind of God is up there as this authoritarian Michelangelo's brother-looking dude He tells us what to do.
0: Michelangelo's brother. (laughs) That was good. I like that. I usually say magic sky daddy. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So you and I both share a mental health diagnosis in common. Mm. Can we talk about that? Yes, let's talk about that. So uh, I have bipolar 2. And for me, what that looks like is, I have periods of very, very deep depression, like life-threateningly deep depression, mm-hmm. followed by periods of, I'm cool. I can get stuff done, and um, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes those sometimes those periods of I'm cool. I can get stuff done are I am so cool. I can get everything done, yeah. um, which which are. So I have these low low depressions, and then I have little hypomanias. Um, and then if if I'm really well medicated and doing all the right things, I'm in I find a balance and a and a place of a place of balance for myself. What does your bipolar two look like for you? What does bipolar two look like for you? Um
1: very similar to yours, right? I have deep depressions, and so of course, like many other people, I was misdiagnosed. As having unipolar depression for a while because the depressions are what bothers me, right? It's right. you know, very you know, deep sadness, deep melancholy, and for not for like a couple of weeks, for like months, like they're very long seasons. Um, and what clinicians call hypomania, I call normal Monica <laughs> because it's that very kind of productive person um, who has lots of ideas and who can do a lot of things. And I definitely can overcommit <laughs> to many things in that season, but not because I can't do them um, if I were still there, but because sometimes the depression will come up before the deadline <laughs> and then I can't do it. Right. For um, right. me, the hypomanias are where I feel well and strong and capable and healthy and able to multitask really well and able to be productive. And to me, I just feel like, oh yeah, that's who I that's normal me. That's happy me. And then there's depressed me. But I've come to understand that what I call normal me might be a couple ticks above (laughs) where (laughs) other people other people live.
0: Well I really appreciate your your understanding of your hypermania that way because Mine, I, I know that mine is um, a hypomania that is not necessarily a good thing because I often have a mixed state hypomania, which oh. is you have the depression, but you also have the high energy. Mm-hmm. Um, And so for me, those aren't fun. But when I get to have the hypomania where it's like I'm getting stuff done, mm-hmm. I I love that. And I and I, I haven't thought of that as, oh, that's normal Nikki, but maybe it is you're making me think about some stuff. Maybe it is the, the, you know, the, the most productive version of me might be who I really am. You know? Hmm. Yeah. I I mean, I
1: I hear, I mean, I have other friends who have mixed dates who experience mixed date and I hear it is torture. Like it is just absolutely painful and terrible and will you know, drive, you like, get me out of this, right? So yeah. um, I have an experience mixed state, so that's not part of my own experience, but I understand it is one of the worst aspects <laughs> of bipolar, too, that a person can experience, and so. Yeah,
0: it's real poopy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to give you my, <laughs> my, my four-year-old language for it, it's poopy. Yes. So, so I'm really deliberate about saying I have bipolar, not mm-hmm. I am bipolar. Do you have... Yeah. um it like a like, do you have ways that you talk about it that you are that you try to be careful about?
1: Yeah, I say I live with a mental health challenge, right? Because we all have mental health of various degrees at various moments in the day or seasons of our lives, right? Um, and sometimes it can be very challenging, and sometimes that challenge can even be disabling, right? Um, but it's not who I am. It's just one of the many things I live with, and one of the. Um, various experiences i have or things that you you know manage and do um i think the part that is the hardest for me is there are a number of things i really have to do to be well and sometimes i forget i have to do them like i think they're optional but then they're not and then i start feeling unwell and i'm like oh yeah i have to like you know Like, for example, working out is not like, oh, you can do it just because you feel like it. No, like you really need to do it. You know, like it's something I really have to do. And it's kind of part of what keeps me well um, as compared to like, oh, well, you know, I can't, you know, part of me is like, well, I should only work out if I'm feeling vain. And if I feel comfortable with my body type, then I don't have to work out. No, no, no. That's not your truth, Monica. You know, (laughs) Um, like, no, this is something you have to do just for your own mental wellness.
0: Yeah, for me, it's little things like mm-hmm. I have to make my bed every day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I need to open my curtains every day. Yeah. Um, uh, I take a shower every day, and 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 for me, I, those are. I know that when I stop doing those things, mm-hmm. I know something's wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you wrote <laughs> it's really this. Hard for me. I, like that,
1: I have to say. So wait again. Go. That's really hard to stay on top of those things during a pandemic.
0: It really is. And and um I get I take comfort in the routine of them. Mm, the yeah. the routine is is really helpful for me. Um but but it's also really helpful for me, for for other people because other people in my life if they notice that I'm not, you know, uh-huh. another one of them is another one is I have to talk to somebody every day. Like I have to at least Text oh, okay. with somebody at least once a day and uh, and so my the people around me, when they've noticed that those things aren't happening, they can say things like, Oh, like if my partner if I haven't made my bed in three days and my partner's like, What's up with not making the bed? What's going <laughs> on? <laughs> um, then that's how I know you know mm-hmm. i'm having I'm, I might be having issues, you know yeah. um, you wrote. The most amazing book called Bipolar Faith. Tell us what it's about and why you wrote it.
1: Uh, Well, Bipolar Faith is kind of my journey and a little bit of my family's journey with depression and faith. And I wrote it because, you know, I was I think I wrote the book I wanted to read, the book I was looking for. You know, I was looking for memoirs by people who have somehow survived this thing (laughs) because I needed some hope that like I was going to be okay, that there was some kind of other side when I was in a really deep depression. And I couldn't find any. I couldn't find them by black women. I couldn't find many, any at that time on bipolar two, which is different than just unipolar depression, different than bipolar one. Um, And people were, to me, oddly, a religious. (laughs) So no one wrote about that struggle. And so I wanted to kind of bring together the things that were most important to me, Um, you know, my culture and my heritage, as well as living with bipolar too, and the struggle of faith. And so for me, it's kind of a spiritual autobiography meets a memoir of madness. And I also wanted to kind of push the story that, I kind of wanted to also write like a black girl story, (laughs) right? Um, That to me feels very American, that the things that my family experienced, um, the legacies of war and trauma and poverty and sharecropping and slavery, um, which often lead to things like alcoholism (laughs) and PTSD, that like none of us are okay, right? How could you be okay? when you have lived through this, and when you somehow manage to survive and love and have a family in the midst of this. And no one's going to call it mental health challenges among you know the formerly enslaved, um, among people who are just trying to feed their children in the early 1900s. And so I wanted to say, this is really my story, but it's also the story of so many of us.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I... Uh... I'd lost track of my questions. Give me one second. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, Last, during Lent, I participated in a Lenten practice Mm -hmm. with you, reflecting on um, my own struggles with bipolar two with your book, Not Alone, Mm -hmm. Reflections on Faith and Depression. Um, How did the book and the faith journey of like, shepherding people, how did, you, how did you find out that you were somebody who, that that was your job, that that, that that was part of your calling, was helping to sort of shepherd people who are dealing with mental health challenges through their faith? How did you discover that, like, I know that you got ordained really young, but how did you discover that that they went together?
1: Um, me and God headed out,
0: <laughs> uh, that, that
1: actually is the case. You know, I felt called, uh, quite a while ago, uh, oh, gosh, like, I wait. Mean, I, it was right out of my twenties, um, to talk about mental health and faith. And I was like, um, I hear you God. And no, thank you. <laughs> right? Like this is not something I want to do. This is not something I feel like I want to be public with. It's an area in which I felt and still feel very vulnerable um, because it's not like over, right? It's still an ongoing thing I live with and, you know, have to manage. And I work in the academy. And so it's like, okay, they say that being a professor is a life of the mind. And I'm going to tell people that something's going on with my mind, right? It felt like an extra kind of vulnerability and not something I wanted to do. So I felt like God was like, this is what you should do. And I was like, I hear you. No, thank you. And then God's like, knock, knock, knock. I mean, just these opportunities would keep coming and coming to talk about it, to write about it. And I was like, you know, do you, do you know what you're asking your kid, a player to do? Like, do you know what kind of position you're putting me in? And God was like, yes. And I was like, so then, you know, these are my kind of conversations. This is like another year goes by and, you know, all these opportunities are coming up and I was like, why? why, why do I have to do this? You know, why do you want me to do this? And I wish I could say it was a burning bush, but I felt this response in my soul that said, because you can, mm-hmm. oh, damn, I understand that, you know, in the sense that it's something I could do um, that I'm either bold enough, crazy enough, <laughs> um, fearless enough, or don't care what people think enough, that it's something I could do and that I had the capacity to do, that I had the skill to do, I had the temperament to do, um, and that needed to be done. And I was like, okay, so let's strike a deal God. right? But <laughs> then I'm still not like, I understand now. Um, how about, I'm not going to look for it, but if it comes to me, I won't say no. And it just rains down, right? Like, oh, will you write your article? Oh, students come. Oh, will you lead a conference? Oh, we got a grant. I'm like, really? And so <laughs> <laughs> it was like, all right, all right. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, and of course, it's a lot of energy knowing you're called to do something and saying no. Like, this is not how you should spend your time, right? Because things tend not to go well when you know in your heart you have a certain path and right. you don't Path, and so I started the book *Not Alone*, which is that part of that journey because I felt like most devotionals were kind of full of shit. I can say that on your show, right? Tell um, me. <laughs> you know, like everybody is out here living this super holy life, and I was like, who are these people? Because that is not what my faith looks like. Like, I love God. My faith is very important to me. Um, the ancestors are crucial to how I understand the world. And it is not all flowers and daisies. And so I wanted to really, you know, kick out some reflections that said, it's not all flowers and daisies. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes they that wait on the Lord are mad about waiting, not rising up on eagle's wings. Right. Right. (laughs) I wanted to, to, to have some real engagement and kind of wrestle with scripture, but also embrace maybe sides of scriptures we don't think about often and to do that publicly because I felt like, well, maybe other people feel the same way I do. And maybe they're looking for that experience or those words or that language. And I know that the hardest part of living with a mental health challenge is that isolation, right? That feeling like no one understands what you're feeling, that you're all alone. There's no one you can talk to at two o'clock in the morning when you can't sleep. Mm -hmm. And so, Leading other people through this in community is also like, no, you're not alone. It's not just you. And there's so many things that we can't get through on our own, but that we can manage to survive and live with and sometimes even thrive when we have community and other people to support us.
0: Absolutely. One of the things that that was actually the the big gift from doing that 40 day Lenten practice with you was just knowing that I wasn't alone, like knowing how many, that there were all these other people who were having similar struggles with not only depression, but like, how do I stay in relationship with God Mm -hmm. in the midst of depression when I'm pissed at God or when I'm too depressed to bother with prayer or Mm -hmm. any number of other thought processes we have. So it was really helpful to that was one of the, the best parts of it for me it was like knowing that like other people were other people got it. It was a great it's, it's a I think that's one of the major gifts of the book is is oh, is being able to see, oh, other people, I get this and I'm not alone in my in my struggle of like how do I how do I love God in the midst of my crazy. Yeah. So it's hard to believe because it's hard to believe in a god of love and nurture when you're suffering with depression. So, what's your advice on how to, if you got to, if you wanted to give a, a a quick summary of like, how do you navigate faith in the midst of madness? Like, how do you, if there's, I know that's not a quick question, but if, if you if you could talk a little bit about that.
1: I mean, I think so much of our faith lives are surrounded by things that we are trying to do and have to do to be good at being faithful. Like I have to pray, I have to read my Bible, I have to go to church, I have to, you know, these different, you have to do these rituals, like things that you have to do in order to be like good with the divine. And I say, no. Like, it's cool. And there are all types of reasons why we cultivate our spiritual lives. But we don't have to, right? Like, God's not going to kick us to the curb and lose our number if we don't say, you know, all of our prayers at the right time in the right order and meditate for, like, 15 minutes a day. Because sometimes you just don't have it in you. Like, it is just not. Like, I woke up. I'm still here the next day. That took a lot of energy. And that's all I got. Yeah. And so to me, in those seasons, faith is, if I can believe that God isn't doing this to me, then we're good. Like, if I don't believe that God is the one torturing me and kicking my ass, then that's faith, right? (laughs) And because as a process theologian, I don't think that you can ever be separated from God, right? I deeply, deeply believe, like, it is a fact of the universe that God is with me. So that even at two o'clock in the morning, when I feel completely alone, I'll be like, but God is here. And God is with me and God is listening to me and God is holding me and God knows how this feels like I experience it.
0: Mm. And it's so hard to remember that when you're in the midst of depression. So thank God for your books so that people can can remember that. So, Monica, what do you love to do for fun?
1: You know, I'm trying to remember what what is fun. (laughs) Um, I like vegan cooking is kind of a hobby for me. I am an avid cyclist. Um, I'm a little bit of a foodie, so I like either cooking fun things that are vegan or going out to vegan restaurants in whatever city I'm in. I like hanging with my friends, right? (laughs) Um, I also probably binge an extraordinary amount of like online TV, but that's mainly a pandemic, not
0: all the time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> what was something you watched over the 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 last year that really stuck with you oh
1: just one thing um
0: or your top three uh, all right a million little things is that the name of the tv show uh-huh a million uh, little
1: things I, I didn't watch that one um it's a it can be triggering you know, yeah, it can't I can't be watch it. mental health challenges, <laughs> but I love ensemble casts, you know, and the writing is so good. Um, this is us like everybody else. Um, like I want to marry Beth. Oh my gosh, she is like a rock. I love her. And I want to know who her girlfriends are.
0: I <laughs> have decided that I am never watching that show, and here's why. Why? When they were doing trailers for it before it even came on, mm-hmm. all of the trailers made me cry. I oh you cry you you will cry you will and I was like no NBC you were not gonna have me crying every week I will not do it
1: (laughs) yeah I still cry on Grey's Anatomy too like every episode (laughs) like I cry over something Um, (laughs) so and then you know I have a little reality junkie in me right so um, nice I've been watching I kind of I recently binged Family Karma Um, so I'm. So I kind of like, you know, there are a couple reality shows I like too.
0: Awesome! I uh, am a Top Chef fan. <gasps>
1: Me too. Oh my gosh, Top Chef Portland! I'm like, who? Have you, are you watching Top Chef Portland?
0: Wait, I'm I'm only on the third episode.
1: All I can say is, like, a DEI consultant hit that whole production team because <laughs> this is the most colored. <laughs> Top chef, and I love it. Not just the people, Me but the too. things. I won't give it away, but I was like, what happened? And where have you been all these seasons? It is so great.
0: And it's because part of it, because they have all the old the old people c- came back to judge it. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I agree with you 100%. Love my, it.
1: I have my daughter watching it too. So, we watch like kid c- cooking shows together and like even the adult ones. We get really involved in them. <laughs>
0: So do we. So do we. We we yell at the screen. I love it.
1: Totally, I love it. Totally. Like my like Gordon Ramsay will yell, my daughter will yell back, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> somebody needs to yell back at Gordon Ramsay. I know. I'm like your daughter's doing it. He yells too much. I'm like, you know, it's okay. Take it down a thousand. Right. We need to get him a like a, a Valium or something. I don't know.
1: I'm sure somebody told him make good TV or something I don't know.
0: It is but, good television though. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Monica, thank you so much for being with us this evening. I really appreciate you you. letting me talk about things that I love. And thank you for teaching us about Process Theology. Where can people find you if they want to learn more? Um, You can find me at
1: MonicaAColeman.com. So you can find um, my books there. You can find the Process Theology course there. that's where everything is so monicaacoleman.com and you can run over there and grab a free five-day devotional if you want to right there on the homepage. so yes I'd love for it to have you join my devotional community too
0: wonderful well thank you so much monica it was great to have you thank you for having me well that is all folks Uh, links to Dr. Coleman's website and books will be in the show notes. You can watch this episode on Facebook or YouTube tonight. Tomorrow you can watch it on Instagram TV or listen to it wherever it is you find your podcasts. Please be sure to like, subscribe, share, and follow. And if you want exclusive content, you can join me on Patreon. The link to become a Patreon member is on my website at NikkiBaileyComedy.com. As usual, it's been a blast. Thank you to my guest, Reverend Dr. Monica Coleman. Thank you all for joining me. Remember to get your play, pray, and slay on and sparkle as you go. I'll see you next week.